As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live, small group, cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training, kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway, in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. Welcome to the Rocket Ship Podcast. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Matt Goldman. And I'm Joelle Goldman. This is our 200th episode of the Rocket Ship Podcast, if you can believe it or not. And uh, we have something a little special and different in store for you today. So we hope you enjoy. All right. So today um, we have kind of a special episode where we wanted to kind of flip the tables and tell you guys a bit about what happens behind the scenes or what's happened behind the scenes here um, at Rocket Ship. We just completed our 200th episode with Jason Freed, and we felt like it was kind of a celebratory moment to take a step back. And Rob Walling, was, who is the host of uh, Startups to the Rest of Us and Zen Founder, um, is has been kind enough to come on and kind of 
be the host and interview us for the day. Um, so, Rob, welcome. Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. Thanks for me on um, as a longtime listener and fan. It's, it's really cool to kind of be on the other side of the mic on this show. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, well, I'm going to hand it off to you and, uh, and, and let you take it from here. Absolutely. Well, first off, guys, I want to say hearty congratulations uh, for making it this far. I think the uh, average podcast makes it seven episodes was, was an early number I heard. So I think wow. you <laughs> just about beat that. Yeah. Thanks. Really impressive. You know, to, to deliver this many episodes of, of such of the quality that you've done over the past few years. And I think um I mean that, that begs the question of like, you know, looking back over over the time that you spent and uh, the folks that you've interviewed and, and all the interactions with your audience, did you ever think that you would take it as far as you have? And and maybe, you know, since there's three of you on the line, I might call out names as we go. But Michael, did you want to maybe kick us off with that? What did you ever think that you guys would take it this far? No. I mean, I think that's the short answer. We we started this, uh, we were going to write a book, How to Launch a Rocket Ship. And as we started doing these interviews and recording them, um, we realized there was so much value and it was almost kind of selfish for us to um, keep it to ourselves and just pick out little parts. So we started, we figured, well, let's do a podcast and, uh, you know, release these interviews. And... Slowly, the podcast kind of took over our motivation uh, to writing the book, and we decided, well, let's just keep doing this uh, for as long as we feel like. Um, yeah, I mean, Matt, Joel, kind of, what was your take on on some of that? Yeah, I think our original plan was probably about eight episodes to include in the book. So we started off with a schedule of two a week, and it never really went away, which is why after two years, we're right about... Um, at 200 episodes. So we didn't start with this plan, but the schedule that we committed to up front put us on a path to, to end up here. And you eventually, you did release a book about a year ago. Was that anywhere close to the initial concept that you came up with, or did that change dramatically once you got you know 100 episodes in? Um, it was nothing like what we originally were going to do. Our, our original idea for a book was going to be more... Uh, teaching style. It, it was going to be, you know, how to do X and here's all the steps you can follow and, and things we've learned from other people. And in going through the process of the podcast, one of the things we've done with each and every episode is pull out the most meaningful, impactful quotes from each person that we talk to and they really speak for themselves. And so the book that we ended up putting out wasn't our words at all. It was everybody else's words and advice and insights that we decided to compile and share with everybody. So it was really kind of the complete opposite of what we set out to do. So show of hands, now that you've released a podcast, you also have uh, t-shirts and, and uh, the book that came out. What do you think? Are podcasts more fun or writing the book and getting that out? I think podcasts are definitely a lot more fun to do. Um, Writing like a book and printing it is terrifying. Um, and once you put it out there, that's kind of it. Um, I've never really felt that way about a particular episode, kind of nervous to release it or um, I don't know. It, it was It's just a much different format. It's a much more, I think, forgiving format. People listen uh, and then they, they go on with their day. And you also have that, you have another one coming out later that week or next week. So if, even if you do screw up, it's yeah. not as permanent as a book, right? Right. 
Right. Yeah. I will say though, that what the, what putting the book together did was force us to acknowledge everything that we had done and learned because it's so easy, especially with the, the schedule of two a week to just go heads down and start pumping out, um, these interviews and a lot of the stuff that you learn swirls around in your head and it's hard to, to kind of step back and really appreciate what you've learned. So it was a good exercise in taking a pause, compiling all the best parts of what we've learned and kind of celebrating together. Yeah. And I mean, touching on that, you know, you, you guys have obviously learned a ton through the guests that you've had on. Um, and there's, I'm sure there's been some moments that have maybe been surprising, you know, surprised by the answer a guest gave or surprised by something uh, that came out of it. So maybe Matt, you can kick us off. What, what, what has been the most surprising thing that you've encountered? I think it was everything as a whole. Um, I was expecting to discover the right way to do certain things as we interviewed people, like the right way to do funding, for example. And what we found was that everyone does it in their own way. And that's really what's great about business is that there is no one way to do it. And talking to 200 different people um, really shows you the unique ways and teaches you that you have to be open to learning some things from a bunch of different people and then decide your own path with every aspect, everything you do. Um, Funding is one example of that. Yeah, and I I think one of the the most, like, I guess, exciting as a host um, is when we catch some someone kind of in a unique space. And one of the early interviews we did with, with Adi, um, who was kind of in between before receiptful, he was, he was trying to figure out what his next step was. Um, and he was also trying to figure out what being an entrepreneur meant to him. And in that episode, it was the first time I felt like we captured something really special um, that really, it, it really kind of, uh, captured kind of the emotional and the human side of um, of being you know an entrepreneur and working in startups, which for me was kind of the inspiration to keep going and creating more of these when we were able to grab something that I couldn't read in TechCrunch and put it out there for people. Yeah, I think uh, I I'm with you on that one, Michael, and I think that really what has surprised me in looking back is we started with a very tactical perspective. How do you do this? What's a better way to, to go about sales or writing email or, um, or raising around? Like everything was very tactical. And I think in the conversations we've had as a group and individually, the things that have been most impactful have been about life and things that we've learned about, you know, balance and entrepreneurship and, and going through the ups and the downs and, there's been lessons that have really changed my life and my perspective on, on what we're doing as a whole. And they have nothing to do with tactics. Yeah, I think that's so fascinating. Cause I mean, you kind of, all three of you touched on that same point that it's, it's not just about reading the books and getting the points. There's no one right way to do it. And, I think the further that we get into this journey, we all realize that there, while tactics are helpful and you, you always, you're going to need them throughout your career, they become much less important the more you learn. And when you're a beginner, you need to just hear about the tactics and figure it out. But when you're intermediate or become more advanced, it's like, it's, that's not the most important part anymore. So I think that's, I think that is a surprising thing. And I'm glad that that's kind of, you know, what you raised here. So how about how about in terms of of guests? I mean, you guys interviewed hundreds of 
guests, uh, you know, what was your favorite lesson that you learned from a guest? Maybe uh, Michael can kick us off on that one. Um, I, my favorite story that we ever got, um, and <laughs> I don't know, if it, I think it was it wasn't really a lesson, um, but before we we talked to um, uh, the Boomerang founder, and um, before the interview, we we're like, "Do you have any kind of exciting stories?" He's like, no, I don't know. You know, our, our journey's been kind of the same as everyone else's. And we started talking, and about 15 minutes in, we started um, hearing about how he got uh, funding. And it turns out that, like, his girlfriend saw that Dave McClure was at a, a mechanic uh, on Twitter and needed a ride to the airport and arranged him to pick up Dave McClure and drive him to the airport. And so we had 15 minutes to pitch him. I and mean, this is the kind of stuff out of a movie um and it was one of like just the best kind of serendipitous stories of um of a founder who who then you know he got into 500 um because of that and it was something that was completely unpredictable and, and something that he could prepare for but couldn't actually ever replicate happening um ever again when rain wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. Yeah, we uh, we interviewed Gabriel Weinberg of DuckDuckGo at one point, and this is someone who's building a search engine. And for probably over 10 years now, he's been going against the giants in the industry like Google. And he told us about how important it is to try different traction channels, uh, even if you don't think that they'll be successful. Um, things like radio or billboards, things that you think of as archaic that aren't present in your industry. And you can apply your own creative spin to it. And what they did was right near Google's office, they took out a billboard, um, basically taking a, a stance and a jab at Google on privacy. And it set them apart. It was right in Google's face. And it was something that no one else would think to do um, because they were open to trying new traction channels. I think looking back for me, um, there's two pieces of advice that I've found to be really important in my life. And one came at the very beginning of the, the podcast and one came in our very last episode. Um, and, and to me there, they kind of go hand in hand. Um, the first was when we spoke with Garrett diamond and he shared his whole experience about how you can't put your life on hold, uh, for anything that's going on in your business. Because if you're constantly waiting for, the money to be right or the timing to be right or all these other things that's that are going on, you're going to wait forever because nothing's ever going to feel quite right or, or like you're quite ready. Um, and just a week ago, we were uh, talking with uh, Jason Freed from Basecamp. And the way he put it is that the habits you set early on are the ones that are going to carry over in the long term. And, uh, and I really took that to heart because to me, it's kind of the same thing. We, we get in these habits of 
working really long hours or focusing on all the things on the to-do list. And we just think that like, it's going to get better. You know, we're in the early stages, but it's once we get through that, it's going to get better. Um, and so both things have really changed the way, uh, actually both Matt and I approach our work and our lives and, um, the way we prioritize what's important and what's doing and what's not. Yeah. sounds like you guys have had a lot of takeaways. I'm sure there, and those are your favorite moments. I know there are probably dozens of others that have shaped the way that you guys are approaching your, your own startups. From my perspective, having listened to, I think pretty much every episode you guys have released, um, I have two favorite episodes, episode 23 with Heaton Shaw, and he talks about the pros and cons of funding. And then episode 27 with Jason Cohen just blew my mind. Um, you guys dug into some topics that I hadn't heard him talk about before. And they were, you know, these are early episodes, but they were, the, that was the point where I heard them and I thought this show has legs. Like you guys were talking about things that other startup interview shows were not. And that's actually when I started recommending it to people, talking about it on my own shows, tweeting it and, and kind of spreading the word because you guys really, you know, I don't know if you, if you upped your game with those episodes or if that's just when it occurred to, you know, when it occurred to me that, that you were really hitting on something that other people weren't. That's funny you picked those because those specifically are two episodes that I think as soon as they were over, we were like, damn, we could have asked so many other questions or we could have done this better. Or I feel, I feel stupid after asking that. And like, there was almost like, yeah, yeah, there was like a sense of like shame almost after those. So I, that's funny that those are the exact two you picked as your favorites. I think part of it was just looking up the Heaton and then after the episode, I, I don't know. We all collectively just felt like we had failed. Um, I don't oh, know funny. why, but but huh. um, we all just kind of felt like, oh man, that wasn't that good. Like we we could have made that way better. <laughs> this was not planned at all. I had no idea. But the thing is, you get you get those two guys, you know, Heaton and and Jason Cohen, and there are others, but them specifically, like you could talk, you could ask them a hundred questions and talk for five hours and they would still be saying interesting, novel, unique things because they've thought so much about this and they have so much experience of being funded, being not funded, you know, building big teams, building small teams. I mean, there's so much to talk about. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, like I said, those ones, those ones had an impact on me for sure. Well, I think that Jason specifically was towards the beginning of us realizing that there wasn't one way to go about raising money, for example. And I think that really shows in that episode. I felt like a punching bag, like with every single question I asked, because I was asking these questions as if there was a way to do it. And he was coming back, um, showing me a, that there wasn't one way. Um, and B that they had a very unique approach to it. That was very different from my mental model of fundraising at the time. So very hard episode to get through, but also one which taught us more than any other episode. Yeah, you took it on the yeah. chin on that one, Matt. <laughs> you know, Jason Cohen's he's so far ahead of us on so many fronts. I think he makes all of us feel like punching bags now and again. <laughs> because he asks, he asks the hard questions, you know, and, and he says what, what he's really thinking. And it's it's more helpful than I think sugarcoating it. Yeah, it's oh, refreshing. Absolutely. So, you know, you guys, 200 episodes in, um, you have a myriad of other things going on. Uh, Turnbuster. And, you know, uh, all the, the, the book you've put out, the, um, the T-shirts, I mean, just you have a lot of things going on. Why is it that, why have you continued to dedicate time and energy to the podcast? What has really kept you going and investing time? 
Michael, go ahead. Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think part of it is um, we set a an intention and a commitment to do it twice a week. Um, and I think we've just missed a couple holidays. But other than that, we, we have stuck uh, to it. And I think the other part is just the value that we get out of it, um, being able to talk to people that we look up to um, that are a couple steps ahead of us and being able to learn from them is one of the best opportunities that uh, I could ask for. And because we've done it for so long, it gets easier and easier um, to ask people to come on and share with us. And that's just been a huge value. And you can actually see with the show, if you if you ever you know listened in order, um, that as our interests change, our guests change, and, and the questions that we ask change. Um, you know, we start off very tactical, and then we get into funding because we were very curious about it, and then we go into more sales and um, and growth stuff. And I think the podcast has just kind of evolved as as we have. Yeah, from uh, from a selfish perspective, it's been like a a self curated. I don't even want to say an MBA program, but the the education that we've created for ourselves by doing this over the past two years is still mind blowing to me. I mean, I think about where we were uh, mentally when, before we started doing this and where we are now and the amount of awesome advice, great information that we've been able to take in um, really for free. I mean, just, just setting up the calls and getting on the phone with people. It's been an incredible learning experience Um, from, from a little less selfish perspective we consume so much information. We're constantly reading and listening to other podcasts. And to me, it's a way to give back a little bit and share things that we're learning and um, things that we find interesting with others like us. And at times when I feel like, you know, maybe we're doing a little too much or it's pulling us away from other things, we tend to get an email here or there from someone just saying, thanks for, for this particular episode or keep it up or, you know, I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And that's really, really meaningful because it's a reminder that, that people are listening and that we're not the only ones learning from this. We're not the only ones consuming all this great advice that, um, there's a lot of people out there that are benefiting from it as well. And so for me, that's, that's really fulfilling. Yeah. There can't be enough said about committing to two a week because for me personally, the first episode we recorded was extremely stressful um, and scary because I was really introverted at that point. And by committing to two a week, it's put me on this path to break free of that in some ways, um, whether it's getting on the phone every week with a stranger, scheduling calls with people that you think you know would never respond to your emails, or um, you know, a few months ago, we went to a conference that we were invited to as media and they needed some help. So we got up on stage and announced guests for the day. And that was the most terrifying thing. And if I wasn't forced to do it, I probably wouldn't have. But going through it and totally tanking and hating it, like it opened me up to doing it more and showed me that even though it did kind of suck, it wasn't that bad. And being forced to do things like this and being forced to branch out are really, really powerful and help you grow so much faster. Absolutely. And, you know, I've, I've long believed that, and this uh, commonly held belief with a lot of folks who are doing things in public, 
it's that you get a portion of the value that you put into the world, you get a portion of that back. It's a very small portion. So if you help 100,000 people, you might get you know, a f- some people that are, that are helping you. It's not everyone. But the amount of value that you are able to put into the world through something like Rocketship or through a company that you start or through a book that you write or through holding, you know, hosting a conference, whatever it is, doing things in public um, not only gets you over that terror, like like you were just saying, Matt, and it makes you better at being a public speaker or being on other podcasts um, or getting up on stage. So it, it improves you, but it also comes back around in some way. There is this feedback loop, and I've found that the more that I've helped people, the more people are willing to help me. And it sounds like that's a similar, probably a similar thing has happened with you, that the more you're able to, to uh, you know, teach yourself while teaching others, it is just this virtuous cycle that you've been able to start. Yeah, absolutely. So cool. What uh, I'm curious what you guys are most excited about in 2016. When we're recording this, it's uh, January of 2016, and, uh, and there's a lot to look forward to, and we all have a lot going on. So uh, maybe, Michael, if you could, could kick us off on that one. Yeah, um, well, we actually have some really exciting news. Um, kind of like, um, you know, like I described how the podcast has evolved with, with our interests and who we are um, today. I mean, we've been doing this now two years, and, um, you know, we've all changed as people. And so what we're, we're doing uh, for 2016 is trying to reimagine the show um, as, as what we want it to be um, today. And we want to take a more editorial um, kind of direction and still stick with teaching um, because we're really excited to to still be able to bring these lessons, but we want to do it um, even better. And so we're, we're going to take a brief hiatus and we're going to try to reimagine what rocket ship looks like today. Um, There'll still be interviews. There'll still be startup topics. uh, There'll still be learning, uh, but the format of the show Maybe a little bit different when we come back. Matt and Joel, anything to add to that? Um, no, I think I think Michael set it up kind of perfectly. We uh, we change a lot over the course of a couple of years, and I think it's almost easier to keep doing what you're doing, um, especially when you feel like you've got a groove. And and doing two interviews a week has been our routine, and um, we do enjoy what we're doing. And so to challenge ourselves and, and to do a better job of what our goal is with this whole thing, teaching ourselves and teaching others, um, we just kind of step back and I'll, I'll credit Michael to really pushing us to, to do that and think differently about how we're approaching this whole thing. Um, so I'm really excited to, to kind of take this in a new direction and challenge myself in a, in a new way. So to be clear to to the listeners, um, the show is going to continue. There's going to be a very short term hiatus yes. while they while they retool. While you guys retool, but mm-hmm. um, in your podcatcher, keep this subscription active, and and you know in a little bit we'll start seeing some new newly formatted shows coming out. Yep, sounds good. Well, um, this this is the last question that I have, and uh, I really want to give you guys permission to kind of talk about what 
you're doing in 2016, your own startups, your own projects, because that's, that's something that, as I've listened to the show, I didn't even know what Michael was up to. I had to go look it up online. <laughs> I found him on Twitter, and then I clicked through and read his Medium bio, and you know, it's that kind of stuff. So I think that, that listeners probably want to hear more about, and feel free to, to, to brag or to plug or you know, to, to talk about whatever you're excited about that you are working on um, in 2016. Yeah, and, well, you know, yeah. yeah, we've always tried to kind of keep ourselves out of the show um, and not, not out, like just our personal, I guess, endeavors. Um, so to keep the focus on the guests and, and on, um, and even for us to keep the focus on getting value out of the guest and not always worried about how we sound and, and do people know what we're up to. Uh, and that was always very intentional for us. And so that's probably why uh, people don't really know. But um, what I've been, you know, when we started the show, I was um, trying to, to, to kind of build a startup. Um, and through the show, uh, learning about uh, business development, um, growth, marketing, um, I now run partnerships at Crew. Oh, that's cool. It's nice to start a new gig. And for folks who haven't heard of Crew, it's at crew.co. And uh, the, the, te- the headline is, we'll work with the best designers and developers. So you guys find um, high-end designers and developers, and then you pair them up with folks who need, what, a website or a mobile app or print design or that kind of stuff. Is that yeah, it's fairly really, accurate? Yeah, taking kind of the background of being a freelancer and an agency and trying to solve some of the problems that those people have. Um, and when I, you know, I started off as a solo freelancer, I built a small agency, uh, and you know, you, you, you have, you always have to be filling out RFPs, doing budgeting, um, and finding the next project. And so that's really where my interest in crew was, was I could take a lot of those experiences and try to help, uh, people in a similar situation, make their lives easier. Sounds cool. Joel, how about you? What are you stoked about in 2016? Um, well, for, for those of you who don't know, Matt and I, um, and our, our partner Ken have a new endeavor that we've kind of embarked on, which is Churnbuster. Um, many of you have probably heard of it. It's been around for a while and we acquired it from Andrew Culver uh, a few months ago. And the entire idea around doing that came from the podcast, um, I had always kind of been in this mental model that like, if you're doing a startup, you come up with an idea and you build it and you find product market fit and and you kind of have to go through all these layers and stages and going through the podcast and talking with uh, JD Grafham, whose business model is basically acquiring products that are at a certain stage and growing them was like a huge light bulb. And I'll give Matt credit for really kind of pushing that exploration, which led to us acquiring Earnbuster in the first place. And so we're in a really interesting position now that we've never been in where um, we've always been kind of fighting and clawing and trying to find product market fit. And now we've got something that has fit and solves a huge problem and does it really well. Um, And we get to now embark on like all these other skills that we've been learning and hearing about um, on sales and marketing and growth and partnerships, um, all these things that we've never really gotten to sink our teeth into. Um, now we really get to do it. And I'm so, so, so excited for that in 2016. Yeah, you guys did a good job of leapfrogging all that 
painful agony of the pre-product market fit customer development. And at least on this one, you're, you're able to, to jump uh, out to post product market fit to be able to use all the growth stuff that you've learned, like you said. And that's, uh, so if someone's interested in checking that out, it's at churnbuster.io. And your headline is stop paying customers to failed payments. And you have integrations with Stripe, Chargeify, Moonclerk, and, uh, and it looks like you have a custom API as well. And so that's the idea, right? It's mainly for SaaS apps and membership sites, I'd imagine, and they can plug in and uh, you help them keep folks, keep folks from uh, having their payments expire. Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, you know from running Drip, a large, a pretty large percentage of payments fail uh, for a number of reasons. And if you're not set up in the right way to keep those customers, you can lose customers who you know shouldn't have churned out. And we've seen up to half of companies churn being due to this problem. And a lot of it is is fixable with some simple tactics. So yeah, it's a it's a big problem and it's cool to jump in at the point where you have a product that solves it pretty well. And we have a lot of ideas for 2016. So it's gonna be fun. We spent the first few months, we acquired it in uh I think the end of October, and we've been working to make sure current customers are taken care of, fix any bugs, performance issues, uh, really getting acquainted with something that has been around for years that we had no experience with. Um, and going forward now, we're at a point where we can start to inject some of our own ideas and the things we've learned and, and start to solve problems. And one of the coolest things about it is that because we're recovering money for customers, we can actually tie a value to the features that we develop and the services that we offer. So we can we can build something or offer a new service where we hunt for a certain kind of revenue. And within a week or two, we're going to know whether it's working or not, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, that is neat. And in the spirit of full disclosure, I'm one of the seed investors that that put money in for you guys to, to acquire and grow Churnbuster. Yeah, and thank you. And that also came from the podcast, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's great. It's really, it's really involved in all aspects of what we're doing now and and what we've done in the past. Yeah, for sure. Well, guys, I feel like we should maybe wrap this up. Or anything else that uh, that we miss that you know you are excited about for 2016? Well, I would just like to thank everyone for listening, yeah. supporting, subscribing. Um, for like the last two years and you know the the response has always been amazing and humbling and um for everyone that's that's listened just thank you yeah ditto ditto from this side um thank you so much to everybody that supported us um it does not go unnoticed and and it means so much uh, and thank you to all of the guests that have come on the show and taken time out of their busy days uh including you rob and uh, giving back to to our community of rocket shippers with their advice and, and their stories as well. Yeah, and thank you for volunteering to do this. It was something that we hadn't really thought about yet. We didn't have a plan for episode 200. We didn't have a plan to pause and appreciate uh, you know, what's happened the past couple of years. And you're the one that not only suggested that, but also offered your time to guide us through it. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, on, on behalf of the myriad of, of listeners that uh, have followed you for the past couple hundred episodes, um, I want to say thanks to you guys for, for putting these out and taking the time and investing your time in doing this rather than keeping it to yourselves like you could have done. And, um, you know, we'll be waiting with bated breath 
for the uh, kind of the reboot of the show here uh, after your brief hiatus. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. first episodes we'll be releasing here in just a couple months. Welcome to Rocketship.fm, the podcast where we explore startups from funding to growth, from culture to sales, and everything in between. I'm Michael Saka. I'm Matt Goldman. And I'm Joelle Goldman. Today on the show, we'll be talking about funding and specifically diving into the history of funding in Silicon Valley. Now, this may not...